0: Oh, hey, what's up? You're tuned into From the Ground Up, the podcast where culinary entrepreneurs share their stories. I'm your host, Danielle Berg. So on today's show, I'm talking to Camilla Marcus. She is the chef and founder of Westbourne and Soho co-founder of ROAR Relief Opportunities for All Restaurants, which is a coalition formed to rally around state efforts to support independent restaurant owners and operators in New York. She's also a founding member of the Independent Restaurant Coalition, which is dedicated to advocating for the rights of independent restaurants through national legislative action. So welcome, Camilla. I'm thrilled to have you on. Thanks for taking the time and joining me. Thank you for having me. So you have a really interesting background. I want to jump into that first, and obviously I do want to talk about what's going on right now in our country and how it's impacting this industry, but first I want to jump into your background and learn more about you. So you've worked in real estate and you're trained in business and law from Wharton and NYU. What prompted you to go into this industry?
1: So I actually went to culinary school uh, as well at the French Culinary Institute, I guess now called ICC. Um, I've always loved food and restaurants since I was a kid. No one in my family really is passionate about food except for me. And I just, I don't know, I just always feel that it's so powerful to bring people together. I think it's such an educational tool. And I think it, it helps highlight, you know, different countries and cultures. My, My dad worked in Japan most of my childhood and you know, we were eating sushi and Japanese food in little Tokyo in Los Angeles before you know, that cuisine really proliferated. And we were raised with so much Japanese culture, sort of part of our home life, because that was such a big part of his life. Um, and I just think food is, is a window into that. And I think it, it is such a spark for gathering um, as well as change. And, and as I said, I think education in a big way to learn about different cultures
0: yeah so when did you go to culinary school right after
1: college um it was uh just before the financial crisis um and i had applied to grad school while i was in culinary school um and i just also felt like i met my people i mean in culinary school i love the left brain right brain and and i would say the same for the restaurant business i mean it's it's right it's the meeting of art and commerce um and sort of the creativity and the commercial and it very much speaks to sort of my generalist background i was a a drawer and a painter growing up um but also really passionate about math and science uh so i've always sort of held both torches and and i think i found that spoke to it i loved the intensity the challenge um, you know, and the nuance of the business. And and I think in culinary school, most most specifically, you know, we had 30 countries represented and all different ages and backgrounds and passions and sort of where people were gonna take, you know, the education to, and, and it was exciting and super inspiring to learn from such an eclectic group of people. Um, and I just loved it. I think there's something so earnest and warm and, you um, yeah, I mean, intriguing about people who love food and, and really are passionate about taking care of others in a unique way.
0: Do you still keep in touch with your friends from culinary school? I do,
1: one in particular, um, but I did for a while and then, you know, life sort of happens and my husband and I moved across the country multiple times over the last decade. So uh, it makes it a little hard, um, but one in particular, we, we do keep in touch.
0: And did you go work in a restaurant directly after going to culinary school or did you take on some other jobs before that?
1: So while I was in culinary school, I was in the night program um, and I ended up working at Delanima restaurant in the West Village for their first year. And it was, again, I mean, now looking back, it made a lot of sense. Um, You know, I really wanted both front of house and back of house experience. And I wanted, I'm the type of person that wants to like pull something completely apart, see how it works, and figure out if you can put it back together better or use it in a different way. I've, I've always been that kind of a thinker. And so for me, being able to be at Del Anima in their first year at a time, you know, the first year of a restaurant is where you're learning, you're testing, you're iterating, you're improving um, all levels of the operation and business. And so it was so wonderful. I mean, I I did host reservations before OpenTable existed and everything was still a pen and paper. and You know i got them composting you know no one was composting in the commercial space at that time and coming from california i was very passionate about sustainability we talked about using led energy efficient light bulbs and you know now that seems simple and straightforward and kind of par for the course but 10 years ago no one was doing that so it was you know such i always say to this day i really that was one of the most impactful work experiences i've ever had and i think anyone who's worked in a restaurant, especially at the ground floor and an entry level, and you know, your first job out of college, I think you learn so much about yourself. I think that um, the ability to grow is just so much faster, because in a restaurant, it's sort of all hands on deck, right? And you're, you're learning so much on the fly. In more corporate jobs, it's it's harder to do that, you know, you're really in a lane, and you're sort of in a box. um, And it's a little bit hard to learn outside of that. So that first year was, um, you know, pretty unique to be able to experience um, all sides of the organization. You know, Joe Campanale, who now owns his own restaurants in Brooklyn, he's my first boss, toughest interview almost to date I've ever had, and, you know, he would let me sit on the wine buying meetings, and we would taste wines, and we would talk about, you know, why why go for a certain type of wine. For example, he's been passionate about orange wine, for as long as I've known him, Um, you know, again, now, sort of the raw wines and the orange wines, um, funkier wines, natural wines are starting to be more recognized. And, you know, he was very early on that. So, you know, I think learning about even that process of wine distribution, and, you know, what you do with your reps, and how you think about a list and pricing, and, you know, the storytelling and the training of it, I mean, it was just, so special to learn everything there from the ground up.
0: <laughs> you used the podcast name; it's so great. <laughs> oh, no, I didn't even. That was not even intentional. That that was perfect. That's that's all I could ever ask for in a guest, right? <laughs> yeah. Um. So what what was he asking you in your interview? That was so tough. Um.
1: You know, it was very situational, and I I think that he also helped me learn that. You know, as I became an employer myself, I think that the best interview questions are scenarios and really hearing how someone thinks through something, you know, and look, there's, I always say I wish the public could work in a restaurant for at least one day in their lives to see, I mean, every situation you just can't make up, right? I mean, they're so wild and complicated and nuanced and, you know, we're human beings, we're very complex, and situations get really um, prickly. And, you know, it's our job to smooth them out as hospitality professionals, but there's no one way to do that. And so I do think um, situational, you know, he sort of would paint a picture and it was very clear through the detail that that was something that actually had happened with a guest and he would say, you know, what would you do about it? Which is really hard when you're 22 and you've never worked in a restaurant before. And, you know, you're just sort of tapping into your intuition of, problem solving and how to make someone feel heard and cared for. Um, And I think he was right, because that's ultimately, that's ultimately what you're looking for is someone who has the right instincts, a very human forward lens of how they solve problems and, and understanding that, you know, it's not about right or wrong. It's not about winning or losing. It's about coming together and connecting with that person. And Creating another option um, and being kind of out of the box in that way, you can train someone to do pretty much anything else in a restaurant, but you can't you can't teach them to care and you can't teach them to be people centric. You know that really has to come from instinct and to lead with empathy.
0: Yeah, and you talk a lot about that in your piece in the Serving New York cookbook. <laughs> which in the forward, right? You were talking all about the generous and creative people that work in the industry. So I found, I found that really, I found that to be very true. It was very emotional to write. It was,
1: um, you know, that whole cookbook was put together by Kristen, who's amazing. She's a a friend who's been a big supporter of Westborn from the start. And we actually, after she interviewed me, it shows you how small the world is. And this is one of the things I love most about restaurants um she'd come in for previews she wrote a beautiful piece on us before we opened and then um, 11 p.m on a tuesday night i hear this voice in our lobby of our building in the neighborhood and lo and behold it's kristen and we had been neighbors for years and had never met um so we became pretty fast friends uh and neighbors after that so she she reached out about week two after COVID hit, you know, and things were, things were pretty bleak and very raw and asked to do the cookbook. And I said, great, but I have like, you know, negative bandwidth and I'm, I'm in a hole and, you know, trying to figure myself out. And I said, but, you know, let's do it. And then she asked me to write the forward and it was emotional. I mean, it, it's, it was an emotional, um, process and emotional thing to write because, you know, this is such a tough time for our industry.
0: To talk to that, you've been incredibly instrumental in advocating and fighting for government relief and reform for independent restaurant owners and operators across, you know, New York and nationwide. And I think based on what I've kind of read and seen online, you recognize that the industry wasn't well organized and you noticed that independent restaurants and a bunch of other people notice that they don't have lobbyists. So... How did you kind of step in and help form these coalitions and organize Roar and the IRC? And for people who are listening who don't know what they are, would you mind just kind of giving a high-level overview of the two and how they're different? Yeah.
1: So uh, Roar is Relief Opportunities for All Restaurants, founded with the mission to advocate for independent restaurant businesses devastated by the effects of the pandemic, support restaurant workers suffering financial hardship in this period. And help create a path to a sustainable future for the hospitality industry in New York. Um, and I joined uh, the Independent Restaurant Coalition, the IRC, uh, which functions at the national level. So Roar is focused on New York state level, um, and we liaise very closely with the IRC as well as the New York City Hospitality Alliance. Um, and and really, both you know came out of a crisis, and and it was. Being part of the founding teams of both was really, honestly serendipity. I, I'm, my team always says I'm a fixer, um, and I'm definitely the person you have to. I'm, I'm a great listener as well, but you have to sort of let me know that you don't want solutions; you just want to vent, and I'm great with that. But my, my core instinct is always, you know, see something, say something, do something, and jump in and find solutions wherever possible. I'm definitely not someone who sits on the sidelines. Um, you know, the the pandemic just came crashing really hard on our industry almost overnight. And it was so apparent, you know, in those first couple of days, you know, March 18th, March 17th, that, you know, we were fully shut down. The needs of social distancing and public health were going to be ongoing and long and hit our industry the hardest. We can't work from home. It's actually illegal to cook food at home and sell it commercially. Um, And, you know, our our people were unemployed in mass and no one was paying attention. And at that time, only fast food and large chain organizations were invited to Washington to really participate in relief negotiations. And I think it was just a trigger and a wake up call. You know, you saw in the early days, airlines were given a bailout package almost overnight. And when you do the math, you know, we employ more people in New York in restaurants than airlines do nationwide almost 1 million people. So, you know, I've always been very big in advocating for and educating on really the important societal and economic impact of restaurants. I mean, my whole business model and what Westbourne exists for was really premised on that, that we are such a critical part of, um, of American life on so many levels and, and really realizing that on a grander scale, you know, we haven't really been considered as such a, you know, as such a fulcrum industry that we are. Um, and I think we, it really just came together kind of fortuitously. I, I, called up a couple of friends, owners that I knew, um, and said, you know, are you seeing what I'm seeing? I'm really freaked out. And I think if we don't get in the middle of this, you know, the effects could be devastating and permanent. And, you know, we seek to lose the most for our industry and more importantly for our people. So, um, we really put Roar together, frankly, overnight. I mean, it's as simple as that. Um, and, with the IRC, I ended up after that roar call. Tom Calicchio, who I've worked with previously, called me that night and said, "You know, we're actually doing this on a national scale, and I think you should join me and and join the call and see what you think." It um, really brought me into the IRC in those early days. Um, again, just look. I think people who want to see change and people who want to Protect an industry that is so critical. Um, I think we all just kind of jumped up quickly, found one another, and we're, you know, we're continuing to grow, evolve, and see where we can make the most impact all while... I keep saying it's sort of like you're fixing the carburetor, you're replacing the engine, and you're changing the wheels on a high-speed bullet train as it's headed for a mountain um, while trying to lay the tracks at the same time. I mean, it's it's chaos. It's tough, but it's necessary. And I do think that we have already made great strides and certainly, you know, a big mountain to climb ahead of us, but we will, we will get there.
0: And for people who are listening, can you talk, if they're not clear on what maybe a lobbyist would do for independent restaurants, can you talk a little bit about that and the importance of having a lobbyist?
1: Yeah. I mean, look, government is a very long Body, right? You know, it's been around for a very long time. Um, there are systems and and mechanisms and processes that, unless we really have experience, um, you know, I'm I'm learning. I feel like I'm taking a really intense civics course. Um, like I said, I'm a I'm a math and science and art kind of gal. Uh, you know, civics was not my core focus growing up, and so you know, there's a lot of There's a lot of specificity in how our government works and how change occurs at the legislative level um, and through the law, which I always had a little bit of experience with. So, you know, the, the key to having a lobbyist is, one, to make your presence and your industry visible, but also as really a critical advisor and helping connect the dots of what gets something passed, right? So even something like the PPP changes, which, you know, were... Um, which were voted in last week, you know, that was a seven week process. Um, and there's key people who inform how those votes happen and at what time and in what form. and so really, I mean they're they're a connector, they're a consultant, they're a knowledge carrier and and they help you understand where to focus your efforts so that your voice can be heard and that the change can be affected um, and helping with, priorities and timelines. And, um, you know, and as I said, process is a big part of it. You know, how things actually get signed into law um, is fascinating and, and really complex, extraordinarily complex.
0: So can you talk about, you briefly just mentioned the legislation that was passed last week in regards to the PPP loan. Can you talk a little bit about what was passed?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's hard to go into too much detail because the Treasury guidance hasn't been fully released yet. Um, It essentially extends the pay period from eight to 24 weeks. Um, The period at which you have to reach full FTEs um, to seek forgiveness on the loan is end of December, not at the end of eight weeks. Um, And there are a number of different nuances. Um, The permitted split between what you can use the funds for, all of those things are part of it. But, you know, our biggest emphasis on behalf of the IRC is, you know, that that really is only part of the way through a solution. We really need a full bridge and we're advocating for an industry-specific stabilization fund um, with the goal of, look, like I said, we've been hit the hardest and recovery is going to be the longest for our industry and the most difficult. When PPP was, was created, I mean, it was created in a matter of, you know, I think two to three weeks, which you know, in our history, legislatively, that's unbelievable timing. I mean, most things take months, if not years. um, But it was created thinking this was an eight week problem. And it's certainly not. And it's much more structural to our industry um, than was anticipated and or understood at that time. So um, it's, it's not a cure all for our industry. Certainly, these changes are a big step forward. And I think, and I think a recognition of, the IRC's presence and how we've been able to enter the conversation and steer policy. But it's, you know, we need more and it's going to take more time.
0: So I want to know how both of your organizations are working actively to support inclusivity and diversity within this industry and supporting long-term systemic change.
1: Yeah, well, I, I'll first start, frankly, with my, you know, you only mentioned two organizations, but I am the the chef and owner of Westbourne, which is my first organization. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it's one thing that I stand very proud of is our whole business model. The whole reason we exist was to rethink what it meant to be a hospitality business. And we call it neighborhood hospitality. But inside and out, we do everything different. We have no porters, no dishwashers. Our entire team is paid the same. And then there's sort of um, more meritocracy-based promotions and pay raises. We cross-train everyone. So everyone learns about wine. Everyone learns to use an espresso machine and why coffee matters. Everyone learns to cook and prep. We clean and we take care of the facilities as a collective. Um, And and really, from the start, um, inclusion, education, training, internal promotion internal development um was really core to our business from you know day zero from conception and you know when i started Westborn, so many people said oh you know that system's so crazy it's so different um and on top of that we have from the start donated one percent of every purchase um, at the restaurant whether it's you know our granola to go or you know we did a private event for you 1% of every single top line sales went through the Robin Hood Foundation to a local organization called The Door. We invested in hospitality training for youth in the neighborhood, and then we hired from the program. So we have not only been, you know, walking the walk in our organization, but, you know, in addition, as I said, to sort of internal training, also how we hired um, was about thinking about restaurants providing real opportunity and real social mobility and obtaining new skills that can open up career doors you know in a long-term more sustainable way um so it's something that i've actually been passionate about for a long time and like i said really the entire impetus um and inspiration of why i started Westborn is centered a lot around the topics that now are being talked about so um so from a larger standpoint vis-a-vis Roar and irc look i think you know, my goal is that Westbourne becomes a big model of how we can rethink things. And I think on the advocacy level, you know, roar from day one when we first launched our online petition on change.org, which now has, you know, over, I think it's over 200,000 signatures now. Um, we started from day one, May, or sorry, March 19th. Um, one of our big push uh, push segments to the state was rethinking the labor structure you know one of the big things we have to work on and i actually think this creates a much more open dialogue and is forcing legislators to learn and and to be more critical and allow structural change you know the 80 20 rule of who can participate in a tip pool is the reason that my restaurant went no tipping and we had a lot of questions over many years why do we not do tips we could make you know theoretically people think they can make more and i said. Yeah, here we do everything. So if today you're on, you know, the cold station and you're cooking for someone, you can't participate in the that day, even though yesterday, you know, you were running dishes back and forth. Um, and tomorrow you're going to be taking orders. Well, that doesn't really make sense. And frankly, that rule of 80-20, um, I personally think has to go. And it's something that from the start, we at Roar have been pushing very hard on. Most owners that I know, particularly in New York, um, everyone says it's about anti-tipping. It's less about tipping. It's about who participates in the tip pool legally. And that's not a system that restaurant owners set up, nor have we ever liked. It's um, complicated, it's biased, and it doesn't really foster a collaborative environment, which is critical. Hospitality is a team sport. You know, it's not about the time you spend with a guest. It's about creating the entire experience, which we all agree everyone is part of. So, you know, it there are those types of systems that I think people assume and I think the public thinks that owners want when in fact we actually don't. We want to pay our teams more fairly. We want to have it be much more of a collective and take down this barrier between front of house and back of house, which is a big um a big structure that I do think does lead to racial inequality. Um, and it's one that we've been trying to dismantle for a long time. And I think now is the moment. I think that's one of the big, um, big areas that Roar is very focused on. And as I said, has been focused on from the start.
0: You've been talking a lot about Westbourne, which is your zero waste restaurant in Soho. And you mentioned briefly that you work with the door. Can you talk a little bit about what that organization is and how you work with them. And- so when we
1: started, you know, again, like I said, I sort of challenged the notion of how restaurants traditionally run doesn't really make sense anymore. I think that humans like to be challenged and to learn and to, to evolve. I think, you know, cutting carrots for a year and doing only that one thing just isn't really how we're naturally wired. And I don't think it brings the best out of people. Um, I think opportunity allows people to rise to the occasion. um, And I think that's just the human spirit and how we're wired. So when we started, you know, I, I really believe that restaurants are among the last frontiers for true entry level jobs. You don't have to have any education. You don't have to have a certain level of experience. I really believe that most of the technical elements of hospitality and service can be learned. Um, I think, like I said, the thing you can't train for is heart and really wanting to take care of others, but the rest is pretty easy to teach. You just have to be an organization that's wired that way. And so from the start, um, we partnered with the door. They're two blocks from the restaurant. Um, and they take a very similar approach to the way we think. So they're really a 360, 360 degree full scope, um, broad support system. They're a full city block. Um, And the goal is they believe, so they focus on young people, um, you know, under, I believe it's under 27 years old, and they provide health services, mental health services, arts, culinary training, career training, um, you know, housing support, guidance, um, and it's, and meals. Um, And the idea is really when you walk in, their approach is, look, most often people in need or who are looking for support there's a lot of things at play it's not just one thing like i said humans are complex so their approach is much more holistic and the goal is to really bring them into the fold of the door and say all right you know you may be really concerned about housing right now but that housing issue is probably part and parcel with other things in your life that are that are posing a challenge and we're here to help you know address them all most organizations um, who are sort of in that field tend to be very specialized. And so we hand-selected the door for that because that's how we approach things. We believe that everything has to be much more integrated and more holistic and address the whole human. Um, really, it, it's hard to do just one thing and do it well when the situation and the, and the issues are much more layered and nuanced. Um, so we ended up funding their hospitality training programs. They have a culinary training program. As I said, they provide three meals a day to everyone who's in the building. Um, And then we hired from that program. Um, And ironically, when we launched, um, it ended up sort of setting out a flag. And we started getting a huge influx from other organizations who do, again, different than The Door, but somewhat similar um, saying, you know, we've struggled with placement, you know, we're doing the training for young people who are looking for opportunity and trying to change the course of their life and have a longer term career. Um, but we don't know where to place them. Um, and what happens is even organizations who decide, so like we work with food and finance high school, they've been an amazing partner. We worked with Emma's Torch. We worked a little bit with hot bread kitchen. Um, you know, and what I always say to them is it's because it has to be holistic in an organization you know, if management isn't properly trained on how you teach someone to cook from the ground up, or how you teach someone how to use a POS system, um, it's great to say you support it and you hire, but if you're not doing the work inside your organization, that's not going to be a smooth transition. And and neither the candidate nor the organization are going to be set up for success. So, you know, I was also very fortunate. We have an amazing head of people and culture. Her name's Yvette, and, you know, she's um, a yoga teacher, very centered on mindfulness. She guides meditations for us. We do a lot of things related to wellness and, and holistic health in our organization for our people. But again, you know, we started together with the idea of inspiring, like I said, really a new approach to you know, what kind of candidates you look for, what kind of education you give them, what kind of training is supported, and and how someone then can unlock growth and opportunities. So a great example, you know, one of our first team members, when we launched, came from the door. And, you know, he had never cooked or worked in a restaurant a day in his life. And he ended up through training with our um, coffee partner, Learning Espresso, he fell in love with coffee. And now he's a barista in Soho. Um, You know, and it just opened up this huge love. I mean, I've seen so many of our team members for the first time they've ever been, um, you know, taught anything about wine. And we've flown out and had many of our California winemakers come and spend the day with us. We've done pop ups and different um, partnerships and collaborations. And to see the team, you know, to see someone learn about wine for the first time, and now that's really the trajectory they're going down, you know, I think restaurants have to start thinking about cross training and education and open opportunities. And, and so much of that came from, from me, you know, a lot of my prior restaurant experience, if you ever wanted to join, for example, like a wine training, people would say, well, you're not a Psalm or, you know, you're not, you're not in the wine team. Like, why do you want to do that? And I said, well, I mean, I, I enjoy wine. I like learning about it. Why can't I, you know, if we're all in this restaurant group together, like why aren't those paths open? And I don't know, maybe I would be really passionate and eventually want to take an exam and get certified. I mean, who knows? But unless those doors are really open, it's, it's then hard to say, you know, like I said, we believe in social mobility at Westbourne. We believe it's critical, but you have, to, you have to train the leadership. You have to make it part of your system that those doors are actually open. Um, it can't just be lip service or it won't work. So, I mean, how can other people do it? They can do it tomorrow. Um, You know, we've always been very open book and very uh, proud to share a lot about our partners, our hiring partners. And, you know, it's a two-way street, right? You know, it takes investing. And that has spent so many hours, and myself included, with those partners talking through, like, what is a smooth transition from a training program to, you know, your first restaurant job? How do we smooth that curve? How do we prepare someone for what that's going to be like? Um, You know, restaurants are a permanent stage and not everyone. It's really hard when that's your first job to really be prepared for that. So, you know, going into these partnerships, it's not just a one way funnel. It really has to be approached like a true partnership.
0: One of the questions I had for you, which you laid out very clearly, and I think your restaurant is a great model of that is like, how can we actually hold restaurant owners accountable to provide opportunities, equal opportunities for everyone and you know, allow people to explore different paths within the industry that they're passionate about. Like you mentioned that coffee example. I think,
1: I think so much of how I approach restaurants is ironically through the lens of other industries. And that's probably because I've worked in so many different jobs, different positions, big organizations, small in many different fields. And I have a lot of friends who work in a lot of types of businesses. And I'm the person that loves to know you know, what other organizations outside of our field do do so that we can then learn and adapt best practices. So like, you know, as I mentioned with the vet, she and I spent so much time pouring through incentives, programs, education opportunities, development across all different types of businesses saying, you know what, the problem is sometimes I think industries get too, um, you know, too in their own way and they look to each other, which isn't always the right way to do something you can learn a lot from another industry and adapt it for your context and actually do it differently. Um, I think the industry has to be more unafraid afraid to, to try things out, to test things, to do it a new way, to learn from other industries and be willing to honestly, like I said, really kind of think more logically and more people centric, you know, and and also talking to your own team and and finding things out from them i mean one of the things that we've been very big on our pre-shift um involves meditation but it also involves what we call props progress and possibility and that also came out of you know i remember working at one job where my review after six months like someone had said something that had happened five months before and i said you know Oh, this is such a simple thing. I could fix. Why did this person wait five months, you know, to tell me anonymously in a typed email? Like, that seems stupid. I could have fixed it. Um, so you know, it was our way of creating an open forum um, for more regular feedback, good, bad, and otherwise. So possibilities is always about farming ideas through our whole team of how can we do tomorrow better? You know, maybe there's a system that we didn't think about the consequences of. You know, let's talk about it. Let's hear about it. Some of our best, you know, pivots and ideas and changes and programs honestly came from our team through those moments. And again, if you're going to be a place that says, great, we want feedback, well, you got to open that up and make that part of the daily routine and the daily fabric. You can't just say you want feedback, but not actually create open space for that. And then if you hear the feedback, you have to actually do something because you can't just also hear people and not take action. Then people will silence again. So you know, I think a lot of what we're hearing and seeing now is because those doors weren't open before. People didn't feel an ability to speak out and speak up. And you know, that is the job of every organization to figure out, you know, why are things being silenced and adjusting that. You know, we did quarter, we do quarterly town halls, which again is just sort of a larger all hands, um, the way we do pre shift, but it's a similar idea. Um, And I think, you know, investing in training, development and things that allow people to become more empowered generalists, I think is going to be better for our people. I think it'll be better for opportunities, but I also think it's better business. I think what COVID has also highlighted is, look, this whole like each person on your team does one very specific thing is incredibly inefficient as well. It's not, I think, a great training ground for dynamic people who um, are going to grow and learn. But I also think it's bad business.
0: Of course, I think you're you're a trail, real trailblazer in the industry, and I really just appreciate the work. Well, you know, that you're interestingly,
1: doing. before this time, you know, not a lot of people were very interested in that side of our business. Um, which I found interesting, you know, like I said, we've been doing it for two and a half years and so much of our internal systems are, like I said, really, we flipped everything on its head. There's nothing that we do at Westborn that we didn't think through from scratch. Um, and it's interesting, I think, I think there will be more light shed on, um, yeah, this sort of inside out approach um, and how we're really thinking through teams and development in a new way Um, And part of that, look, is part and parcel with, you know, what we equally are advocating at, you know, the IRC level, but I would say more in the weeds with Roar. Um, I'm sure you're seeing all of our social media, you know, people have to realize that change also more tangibly happens, frankly, at the state and local level. Yes, it's important to vote um, in, you know, the national elections. But the truth is so much policy that actually affects your daily life and and our business actually happens at the state and city level more than people realize. So what we have to also do part and parcel with that is really, we need to unwind the heavy tax- taxation and regulation that has really come down hard on our industry. Hospitality margins have compressed from 20% to 5% as industry standard over the last 10 years. There's, it's way, way overly regulated and way overly taxed. We pay almost 30% in corporate taxes, which is unheard of for other industries, particularly when you think about the fact that we're the second largest private employer in the country. Um, That will enable more investment in all the things that I think, like I said, I think the country wants, and I think we as business owners do want. We want more equitable pay. We want to be able to give greater benefits. We want to give more opportunities. But when you're hovering around 5% margin, you know, I don't know how that's possible, right? Like, you know, it's got to come from somewhere. So I do think what we've been calling for at Roar in particular is really a wholesale restructuring and to say, all right, if not now, when? Let's think about how this business can be run better and for more opportunity and for more equity. And I think that that has to be structural and, and dynamic. Um you know, in a full scope way. I think it has to be done holistically. And I think it can be. I really do.
0: Absolutely. We didn't talk about Westbourne, like what kind of food you serve there and what kind of restaurant it is. LA inspired <laughs> so can you talk Mission about that? Driven
1: Vegetable Forward. So everything's really about sort of celebrating, you know, we we source local and organic wherever possible. But it's really meant to sort of be reminiscent of the bounty of the West Coast in California, specifically where I'm from. So, uh, you know, we pull a lot from the different cultures that make up Los Angeles um, and the idea is to, to inspire through a really delicious meal, um, but that also does, does good for our community and our environment
0: at large. What's your favorite dish on your menu? It
1: always changes. It always changes. I mean, the mushroom is definitely one of the ones that we're known most for. But um, I also love our Sullivan Chopped. Um, And I honestly, my favorite is that we're always creating something new and different uh, when we do partnerships and we do when we did offsite dinners and special events. I think creating, you know, one for one custom experiences um, and showing people that you know, you can have something vegetarian that'll really, you know, blow your mind is, is the fun part.
0: Where can people contact you if you want?
1: Oh, hello at Westmore.com. Oh, hello at org. You can learn more about the IRC at www.saverestaurants.com. Um, you can go to www.roarnewyork.org to learn more about um our partnership with Robin Hood for employee relief, as well as our advocacy efforts. Um, And if you want to reach me, you can DM me at camilla.marcus on
0: Instagram. I'm normally pretty responsive. Amazing. And last question, what's your favorite song right now? um,
1: Actually one that I've been listening to a lot. Funny enough, it's the song I walked down the aisle to when I married my husband many, many, many years ago. Uh, I love explosions in the sky, your hand in mine. And I think right now, instrumental um, has been pretty centering for me.